welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. scripture and if, if that's I can do what I want because I have the mic and you don't <laughs> um, I like to stand for the reading of the word because I like to affirmatively say uh, that it's God's word that we're founded on right it's not we're, we're, we don't have like a certain um, denominational sect can you guys turn this mic down a little bit I'm, I'm afraid I'm gonna when I when I start heckling thank you uh, it'll get loud. But we really do believe that God's word should be honored. And I, I, it's, it's pretty, I think, axiomatic to, to say the, the church, the modern church in America, the modern mainline church doesn't read its Bible and doesn't live according to the, the dictates of the scripture. And thus we have a culture that's a wash, that's completely lost. And we have a church that likes to talk about how to make your life better. And like every, every other message is how to make your life better. And you're like, um... You know, it's not that your life doesn't get better in Christ. It's that when that's the, that's the primary, then you are the idol of your own world. Like, it's all about you and the idolatry of self. And that's the backwards way. That's actually the, that's the devil's actual way is to make self the idol and self first. But when we make Christ first and his kingdom first, then what happens, it's a concomitant necessity, which means it's a required fact that will happen is our life begins to flourish when we make Christ the center and the first thing. And we actually die to self instead of living for self. That's... That's how that works. And so um, that's why it's important. And we you normally do stand up for the reading of the word because it's really, really important to actually read your scripture uh, and, and understand it and live it and learn it. Um, are you a Braylon? Yeah. What's your name? Luke. Okay, we met on, on, on Instagram. Greetings, my friend. Um, you look exactly like a pastor that I know, his son. And I'm like, it would be awkward if you were that pastor's son if I didn't say anything publicly. He would hate me forever, so I'm glad we cleared that up. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> um, welcome, Ching's Church. How are you doing this morning? Good to, good to be here. I'm, I'm prob- I, may sit, I, may, I, may, I may sit for a bit this morning. If you're new to Ch- King's Church, this is kind of how we roll, and um, we're not trying to, to be someone for someone. We're not putting on a show here. We're not, we don't do worship to put on a show for people. We don't preach to put on a show people. We're just trying to be faithful to Jesus. So welcome. It's authentic, and it's, we love it. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this morning about a number of things, and I'm going to start with a very familiar scripture in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses um, 2 through 4 is the Lord's Prayer. Have you heard that one before? That's a pretty classic one. And it kind of sets up this really interesting paradigm about how we as believers are supposed to have a priority of importance in our life about things that we're concerned with. You know, the Lord's Prayer is a lot of things. First of all, it's a prayer that Jesus said we should pray, so we should pray it, not just the form of it, but we should actually pray the Lord's Prayer, actually pray it. Um, but also there's some things that Jesus, when he's saying what it's in the Lord's Prayer, it gives us directive of what to pursue in life. So. Here it is. You've, you've heard it before. Father, hallowed be your name. I love that um, what um, our deceased friend says. I can't remember his name right now. He says, the amazing thing about Father, hallowed be your name is it's akin to a phrase that they say in the deep south that children would say to their parents. They would say, Daddy, sir, 
or mommy, ma'am. And daddy, sir is both an, an idea of intimacy with someone and sir is this idea of respect. They're bound up together that we could both actually have intimacy and honor at the same time. Right, that we could actually both have respect and reverence and intimacy. They could be joined together. There's a, a cliche that says that familiarity breeds contempt, that the more you spend time with someone, the more you begin to despise them or you get used to them or you, you dishonor them. But this here says, Father, hallowed be your name. So there's a sense of intimacy, the great grand arms of God inviting all of us through Christ to communion with him. But then there's an honor, a respect, a holy is your name. And the church for too long has gotten A pluses on grace and Fs on wrath. And we don't get that the incredible, uncomprehensible grace of God is matched by the uncomprehensible wrath of God. We don't understand that. We think it's like five seconds wrath, one million percent grace. That's not how it goes. Just read the Bible, right? Um, And we're going to get into a little bit of that today. But I want to talk about this second part of this scripture, the Lord's Prayer. It says that, let your kingdom come. That's all right. We got it. We know that part. It says, let your kingdom come. Uh, Vishal Mangalwadi is the premier Christian intellect of India and maybe of the United States now that he's come here and brought his ideas and is an incredible uh, lightning rod reckoning the body of Christ to the Bible itself. And he says of this portion of scripture, he says, you cannot be a Christian and pray the Lord's Prayer and not actually want the kingdom of heaven to come everywhere. And I was like, but what about all of the people that say we're not supposed to be involved in politics or we're not supposed to be involved in whatever issue that you feel like the church should get pushed out of? What about that? Vishal says, every single area in the world that you touch you should be praying, Father, let your kingdom come. Listen, not arbitrarily whatever happens, happens, but the kingdom of God with the ways of God and the precepts of God. And so people people are saying this thing like, um, it doesn't matter who gets elected because... Uh, because it, it just is irrelevant if a good guy or a bad guy is on there. It's irrelevant to us Christians. We just need to pray and hunker down. I want to I read you something from Tacitus. Tacitus is a Roman historian. Tacitus is reporting from around, six, or, or around the 60s AD. Um, and this is what he says is happening to Christians. Just so you know what happens when bad guys get in power. Can, 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 I, just show, can I read you this? And mockery of every sort was added to their death. So Christians were being executed, right? And they were not just being executed. Mockery was being added to their deaths. Covered with skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished. So Nero was dressing them up like animals, having them go out into this carnival area so people can watch. And the dogs were unleashed on the Christians that were now dressed like animals and torn apart and killed. That was happening to Christians. Pig skin, pig head head outfit on, put them out in the thing, release the dogs and have them torn apart and killed for celebration, for fun, for entertainment. Isn't that so funny how they're wearing animal skins and the dogs are murdering them? 
that's just part of it. It says, or they were nailed to crosses, and we know that, uh, or they were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination. So they were, they had tar poured over their body and they were lit on fire in the garden of Nero to entertain his guests. So they were being burnt alive. And you could just say, well, that's just a crazy, that's just a madman. He's just a mad guy in power. It doesn't happen in other places. It happens all the time to Christians. There are more Christians martyred today than were martyred in 64 AD. Because Satan wants to kill Christians. And if bad guys are in charge, Satan gets to kill Christians. That's how it goes. And it doesn't start by one day it's like, hey, it's Christian killing day. Yay, everyone get your guns, you know. Uh, I was going to make that funny, but it's really not funny. I can't really. But um, it starts with a slope of things that happen that are anti-Christian. And it starts by national leaders saying of Christians, those people are hateful or they're hate groups. And then they can justify. So what happened in Rome, I don't know if you know this, in Rome they believed that Christians were cannibals because of communion, right? Because of this idea that we're eating the, the body and blood. They took that idea, they manipulated it, and they said they're cannibals, they're eating, they're eating people, and not only that, they're sexually immoral and they're... Uh, they're, they're doing horrible things with children. Now, that was just a, a brazen lie. There's no evidence at all for that. But they just was like, what is the other worst thing in the world? Let's throw that on as well. And so then the populace of Rome is like, fine, dress them up like dogs and kill them. They're cannibals. They're, they're child molesting cannibals. Kill all of those people. And so Rome is like, that's fine with me. We can light them on fire. That's how it works. When the populace believes lies about a people group, they can be demonized. And Senator, I, I, can't, I can't remember, actually, I don't remember if he was a congressman or a senator. Al Franken, was he a senator before, um, the, before what's, what's his face? Anyway, he said of the ADF, the ADF is a Christian group of lawyers that I've worked with a number of times that uh, do lawsuits on behalf of churches. They actually try to defend churches when they're getting hammered. He said the ADF is a hate group. And that means regular Christians that are being defended are being now lumped into this group called hate group. And so this is, there is a whole political system that is calling any conservative Christianity group a hate group. And right now, if you look on the SPLC, the Southern Poverty Law website, you'll see, I don't know, it's at least a third of their group are just standard evangelical Christians that are being lumped in to hate groups. And you're like, well, it's not a big deal. Nobody cares about the Southern poverty law, blah, blah, blah. They're just like crazy progressives. That's how it starts. That's called the slope until the end is this chaos. When Jesus says to his own disciples and followers, he says, it's going to be really, really horrific when judgment comes. And the judgment of God comes upon a nation because a nation has stopped walking in righteousness. That happens. And... Um, we have a nation that has stopped walking in righteousness to a grand, to, to, to a large part. And our job as the church has always been for the history of the world has been to reckon people to God. And we reckon people to God through the great gift of Christ. Um, but it's not just that they would repent of their, it's not that they would just ask for forgiveness, but that they would repent of their sins. In the book of Mark, it says everywhere Jesus went, this was his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change the way you're living your life 
and the kingdom of heaven will, be at, will, will fill your life. Is that hand is graspable. It's contingent upon our turning. So we've been talking about politics at our church, not because um, we're Republicans or Democrats. I'm uh, actually an independent, but I, I think it, it would, myopic would be, uh, would be too light a term to say if, you, if you're for a platform that is pro-abortion up until 12 months, excuse me, nine months and after, if you're for that platform, that pro-abortion, pro-death platform, um, for a platform of, on, a, on a team of people that are expressly anti-church, expressly anti-religious liberty. There is a bill called the Equality Act right now that is, if the Senate flips towards the blue, it will be passed. And that there was, there's already litigation about it. There's already a, a, a pastor in Maine that was getting sued and potentially jail time because he was setting up a, a shelter for homeless women and he didn't want to have homeless men saying, I feel like I'm a woman today, so I'm staying at the shelter. And the state was going to prosecute him and send him to jail. And, and, and the church is not talking about this. And so that's why, we're, that's why I said last week that President Trump is going to win the election. And you may say, well, that's not true. That clearly didn't happen. It's going to happen. And I'm not, I, I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to freak people out here, right? It's, it's, I'm, I'm afraid of what's going to happen in New York City because of all of the jubilation that we've had this last couple of days. Listen, there's a law in Pennsylvania, and the law says this. If the state goes down to, if, if the election goes down to a half a percentage point, there is a guaranteed recount. It's in their, it's in their legislature. It's a really great idea because when votes are that close, there should, we should make sure everything's straight. That's, that's, that's great, right? Um, and there seems to be a significant amount of corruption. And so it's, gonna, it's going to flip back and it's going to be serious when it does flip back. Um, and I want to I preach from 1 Kings chapter 1, and I want to show you a biblical picture. Ready? It says this. It says, Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he caught chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. Verse 6. His father had never rebuked him by asking him, Why do you behave as you do so? So here's the context. David's son, he's got, a, he's got a bunch of wives, he's got a bunch of sons. He had this son, Absalom, and he, he tried to take over the kingdom, and it was a bad situation. He ends up dying. It goes really bad. Well, this guy, Adonijah, is, the, is now the oldest son in the lineage of David. And he actually is the guy in line to get the kingdom. But David has made a promise to Bathsheba that Solomon is going to be king. And Adonijah knows this, ostensibly knows this. And so he decides that he's going to take the kingdom for himself. And he decides that he's going to have a big party and trumpets and all these people run in front of him and say, I won the election. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's exactly what it is. Check this out. And it says... So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. Now, there's a specific way, a process in the nation of Israel for a king to be anointed. 
You remember at the beginning when David gets anointed by the prophet? Remember what happens? The prophet shows up and anoints him with oil. The man of God says, this is who it's going to be. And then that's, that's the determination is by God declaring who's going to be the king. So um, this is a really incredible part. So Adonijah, he, he, his name means son or praising praise of Yahweh. His mom's name means festival. And he decides that he's going to proceed in this festival, a party, and this party goes forth before him. And then he sets up a party to set himself up as king. He does whatever he wants according to his own way, according to his own time frame, because he was a son that was never rebuked. Look at this. It says, his father had never rebuked him, asking, why do you behave as you do? 2 Timothy 4.2, it says this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. We have a church that is afraid to rebuke. It's super good at exhorting. Like, I'll tell you about your, like, your, right, your personality test. Like, tell, I'm going to tell you how great it is to be a seven, you know, any sevens out there. Um, it's, it's actually a funny thing. It doesn't say like exhort, reprove, rebuke. Isn't that funny? Like it doesn't say first exhort, make them feel really good and then bring the heavy. Uh, I spent some time in the Greek last week in this scripture and both of those words, reprove and rebuke are both really intense words. One of them is not like be kind and just give a gentle edit. They're like harshly reprimand people that are in darkness, lest they die. We have a church that's like, we don't do rebuking. And do you know why? Because when you're fatherless, when you're fatherless a rebuke feels like rejection. But if you're a true son that you know discipline is from a father who loves his son and wants the best for him. But we have, a, we have a generation right now that's about 50% fatherless in, in our nation. Um, uh, 70, I think I saw a stat today. 78% of our nation says the number one issue of our nation is not politics. It's fatherlessness. 78% of our nation agrees on that point. And when you're a fatherless people, you don't handle rebuke. You see it as rejection and you run away. You know, I've been in ministry for quite some time and and most adult men that I correct never come back I think probably probably 10 or 15 percent stick around women it's, it's different most women I don't know why this is can take it maybe I'm meaner to the guy I don't know um, but um, and, and, and I've been relatively intense with some, with some people, probably too intense at some point, some points, but, but I've always just followed the Matthew principle. It's like, if someone has sin, you call them out. If they don't, if they're continuing in that sin and then you take in one other brother and you say, Hey, now I have another brother with you. If you continue in that sin, I'm going to stand up in front of the church and say, we're not having fellowship with this person anymore. I don't even think they do that at large churches anymore. Like, we literally do not do that. We do not rebuke. We do not reprove. We just try to exhort. That's all we try to do. And this is 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy. Paul is coming back and saying, these are the things I don't want you to forget, Timothy, as you're leading the church. 
And I was thinking about David, you know, he's, he's out with the sheep. His, uh, the prophet comes, Samuel comes to anoint the sons of Jesse. David, David's not even called, right? You know the story. David's not called in the lineup to get anointed by his father. Did David feel like a fatherless son? Is that why David didn't know how to rebuke his own son? And he's living with, right now, someone who's trying to usurp the kingdom because they've never been rebuked. And because we haven't been rebuked, we have leaders in our church that have massive sin in their life, that aren't corrected, that grow large churches, and then while the church is very, very large, they explode over issues of sin. And we had that this week with Carl Lentz. And we have, and this is what's, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you the story. Wednesday night, I found out about it Wednesday afternoon. Wednesday night, I'm praying at a church service in Harrisburg with Bethany and I, we were there. And I was like, Lord, I need to know how to pray because I don't know how to pray about this because there are a lot of moving parts. It's a very big church in my city and a lot of people are going to be hurt. Um, and I don't know who to pray for or how to pray. And, I, and, and we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us through our inner voice, right? And also through our imagination, however the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you if it's in accordance with the word of God. Um, and so I was praying and I saw a really clear picture in my mind's eye of the, of the enemy going through the congregation of Hillsong and slashing people, claws slashing people. And um, I then, that was like on this level, and then I saw this level up and I saw Jesus standing above and he was really, really, really angry. And he had, a, he had an iron rod in his hands and he was gripping it like this in his hands. And he was pacing back and forth. And the scripture came into my spirit, Revelation 19. It says that he, it says this, that he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And the next verse says, and he treads the winepress of the wrath of God. The scripture says, it will be worse for you to take a millstone and tie it around your neck and throw yourself into the sea than it will be to lead the little ones astray. And Hillsong has been a church of little ones. It has been a church of the newly saved, of the young in Christ. And my, I saw that picture in my mind's eye, and I felt fear for myself. And I said, God, please look in my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. God, please route out every area of sin that I held on to. Please clean out the pride, the arrogance, the sloppiness my lethargy, my sloth. Yeah. I had a friend that, um, Bethany and I were leading this youth group in Washington State, and he, he was like 30, he was a couple years older than me, and he had an affair with a 15-year-old girl in my youth group. And um, I was the ax man, and I, we went to confront the guy, and I was gonna be really just smash him. And, um, I was mad. It's a little girl in my youth group, and he's 30-something years old with three or four kids, and he's ha having an affair with a 15-year-old girl. And I said, um, I went to go, you know, give him the drop kick, and he was, he's sitting on his, just weeping. And he said, how, I said, he said, how did this happen? And I said, well, it happened in part because you wouldn't stop looking at porn for the last five years. And you think that's not just going to fit in a little box. You think that's not going to go away when you every day over and over again are fantasizing about other women 
you think your wife is going to be sufficient for you? That's not how that works. And I was in prayer Wednesday and I was saying, God, please, please put the spotlight in my own heart. Jesus, please forgive me. Because he's a beautiful savior, but he's also a lion. And I saw these posts like, we're so encouraged about your next season of growth. And I'm like, dear God. I'm like, do you not know Jesus? When, the, when, the, when, the, when, those, when those, and this is not funny, seriously, listen to me. When those, when those baby Christians are on the rocks and losing their faith, this is eternity. And people are like, well, we just, we're praying for your next season. Hope it's great. And I'm like, dear Jesus, please help those baby Christians around New York City that are, that are losing their faith right now. Because the person that they looked up to, like God, just fell away. And the church has a track record of not reproving, rebuking its own. And that's what happens. And so, because Adonijah was never disciplined, he was never submitted to the structure of discipline that God ordained, he acted in rashness, and he followed his own impulses. And that's what we have right now, with people just following their own impulses because they haven't been disciplined. And this is what it says in Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly or quickly, or as soon as it happens, corrects him immediately so he doesn't do it anymore, so he doesn't destroy his life and his friends and his community. Bethany and I, were, uh, we were leading a, a, a youth conference, and the other church that was co-leading with us, um, the, the pastor, during the conference, the pastor was having an affair. He, the co-leading pastor at this conference, us and this guy. I don't think any of his children follow Jesus anymore. They were all in their teens at the time. They were all jumping up and down and dancing and worshiping Jesus at the conference. I don't think any of them follow Jesus anymore. And, and we have to have a place in our theology that it says it's worse for you to tie a millstone around your neck and throw, be thrown off into the sea. Now listen, in, in Timothy, and, and Gabe and I were talking about this, there is a place for, for rebuke, repentance, reconciliation, and trust to be rebuilt. That's a long process. It's not a five-second process. That's a process that the scripture tells us to happen. But when the default of the church is high-five you on the next season, something is gravely wrong. Gravely. All right. I think the other issue that I have is that we have is this culture of fatherlessness is that uh, the impulse of the mob right now, um, the, the undisciplined demands of the, of the mob. Do you know that the, 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 the stores are boarded up in Midtown, not because of conservatives, what they'll do after the elections? Do you understand that? There's actually a people group that are so anarchic. They're, 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 they're so against order that they will destroy and burn things down as soon as the vote flips. And I'm, and I'm talking to pastors that are like, nah, it's just 50-50. You're just playing politics. No. We have a 125% shooting increase last month in New York City because of the rage against police by those people. 125% increase. And let's, instead, in church this Sunday, let's talk about your finances. Heart for the house Sunday. 
I, I have so many pastors doing hard for the house right now, and, and, the, and the nation is, is on the brink. So Bathsheba went to see her, uh, the aged king in his room, verse 15, and she said to him, my Lord, you yourself swore to me by your servant, by the Lord your God, Solomon, your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne, verse 18. But Adonijah has become king, and you, my Lord, king, do not know about it. Verse 22, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived. Nathan said, have you, my Lord, king, declared that Adonijah shall be the king after you, that he will sit down on your throne? Verse 29, then the king took an oath and said, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son shall be king after me, then he will sit on my throne in my place. Daniel chapter 2. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes them. He gives wisdoms to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Yeah. He reveals the deep and hidden things, and he knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. The whole, this whole, the whole national thing is God. Right? God decides the fate of nations. This is not the arbitrary whims of a polity. God is in control of the world. And God will have his way. And he decides who to raise up. And he decides who to take down. And when we see national leaders taken down, we say God took that person down. That's what we say. And when we say, see God holding someone up, we say God lifted that person up. Yeah. See, Daniel, when he's reading the scripture, he doesn't think it's just a book written by a bunch of people that people hang on to and think is like, you know, this is a, these are good ideas. These are kind of God ideas. He thinks it's actually the word of God. I was listening to Vishal this week and he says, he says, can the president write a letter or can the president give a speech even if he didn't write the speech and you say of course he can actually the president when he has a speech it's his concept they're his ideas he has speech writers and not just one but many speech writers work on the speech that he then gives and declares and for the history of the world it doesn't say this speech writer and this speech writer and this speech writer and this speech writer it says the president declared this thing and Daniel was looking at the word of God and knowing that it was God speaking to people, through people. And it says this in Daniel 9 too. This is really incredible. It says, in the first year of his reign uh, of one of the, <coughs> excuse me, one of the king's reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scripture and according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And so, Jeremiah, so, so Daniel looks at the scripture and he sees what God is doing. He says, God, this is a prophetic 
word from you. Actually, the book of Jeremiah in chapter 25 and chapter 29, it says expressly that the bondage will be on the people of Israel for 70 years. And, and Daniel starts to do the calculation. Daniel is in his 80s right now at the time. He came into Babylon as a young man. Now he's in his 80s. He's studying the word of God. He realizes there's a prophetic call that God is speaking and that the people of Israel are going to be set free in two years. He knows it's prophetic. He knows it's God. And you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say, cool, let me stand by and watch. He does the exact opposite. Now, this is confusing for us as Christians because when we hear a prophetic word or we feel like God's going to do a thing, we normally just say, now I'm just going to get in my chair because God said so, and I'm just going to sit and watch it happen. But that's not what Daniel does. Look at this. I understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting in sackcloth and ashes. That Daniel knew something that we don't know. That God asks us to partner with him in what he does on the earth. And so that when we know that God is doing something, that we engage in prayer and fasting to say, God, I know it's your promise, it's your desire, it's your word to bring these things to pass. And so now I'll do my part and I'll fast and I'll pray and I'll say, God, let your word be seen as faithful in this earth. I think every prophetic person that I trust and know um, has said that Trump is going to get the next four years. And most of my closer friends have said it will be through a battle. Um, because why, why, why do we care that Trump wins? Because we believe that abortion is the most important thing in the entire world. That the shedding of innocent blood is the highest order of moral hierarchy that we have on the earth. And we have one party that think it's A-OK and another party that thinks it's a horrific. And we as believers know that it actually brings a curse upon the nation. That the shedding of innocent blood brings a curse upon the nation. It's, you can see that in Genesis chapter um, 6. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Listen to that uh, podcast if you haven't. And so Daniel turns and he says this. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. And keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. And we have been wicked. And we have rebelled. And we have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors. And all the people of the land. He continues throughout the the rest of, well, most of the rest of that chapter 9. Praying and saying, God, will you please deliver your people? And so... I'm going to ask um, you as a church to join me this week. I'm going to be fasting and praying for the nation. I'm going to be, we'll get it, we'll get it, we'll get it. Just squeeze the side. That's what I always do. Um, I'm going to be fasting and I'm going to be fasting this week for the nation. Um, The nation is, I'm not just fasting and praying for the election results, although I will be, I'm also fasting and praying for our city because the scripture says for us to pray for, right, pursue and pray for the peace of our city. And I'm going to be praying for downtown Manhattan specifically. That's where I live and and my church area and all this. 
um, that God would protect us, that he would have his way, that righteousness would be exalted in the land, um, and that he would be with us. I, I also am believing that, um, that the individuals that are attempting to undermine our democracy would be uh, outed, and that, that the devious acts would come to the light. And um, when Haman creates the gallows to hang the righteous, that he himself is hung on those. And we, um, we're, we want to stand for a Christian people to stand in the nation and say, God, we want Christianity to come everywhere. That doesn't mean we want a theocracy. That means we want to be able to exercise Christianity everywhere where we touch down. Um, you know, in China, China, I, I mentioned this last week that they are kidnapping Muslims and they are, um, they are, uh, what? yeah, I don't want to say the word castrate, but what is the, what am I trying to say? What is it? Yeah, right. They're sending them to concentration camps and they're, uh, they're sterilizing them. That's the word I was looking for. They're kidnapping Muslims. They're sterilizing them. And then I was saying, then I just started looking into it this week. And I was like, what else are they doing? And they actually were, have been blowing up churches as well. I think they have 200 churches that have been blown up or, or demolished in the last two years in China. And, um, you know, again, I, I, I want to I I say we as Christians, and especially here at King's Church, we're called to be Christians everywhere. And right now in this season, this is the most important thing in the world that's happening. And so are we going to continue to talk about it? Maybe. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to be a person that talks about the most important things that's going on <laughs> and talk about the scripture in light of those things. Um, because I think it's been, I think it's been um, a little bit cowardly that we've av- avoided all things of controversy. And so, um, church, I, I want you to have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And he was anointed with the oil of joy, right? There, he had moments where he went, flipped and went and rage balled, right? He had, those, he, had, he had those episodes and they were good and righteous when he did that. And there's time for righteous anger and wrath. That's, all, that's appropriate. But his baseline was being anointed with the oil of joy. And that picture is the picture that I want to live in and walk in. And in the midst of all of our weeks and praying for our nation, praying for all the stuff that's happening, I want to be, be like Jesus, that I'm anointed with the oil of joy. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.